Welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. What is up? Welcome to episode 210. Thanks so much for listening. It means so much to me. If I've brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe button. Don't be a stranger. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. Let me know what you want to hear more of, and please be sure to share the podcast. I'm truly grateful for your support. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic, free of fillers, and contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving, like Organifi Green Juice with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. This helps reduce stress and supports healthy cortisol levels. Organifi Red Juice, a superfood punch that increases energy without the caffeine and containing only 2 grams of sugar. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com slash MotivatedMind and use code MotivatedMind for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com backslash motivated mind and use code motivated mind for 20% off any item. Today we have another special guest that joins the pod, Dr. Frederick Bonson. He is a personal and executive coach who works with individuals and teams to create happiness, improve performance, and foster well-being in their personal and professional lives. He has devoted two decades to the art and science of decision-making, delivering practical strategies that streamline this important human process. In addition to coaching, Dr. Frederick is a practicing general surgeon and served as chief medical officer for Macro Eyes, an AI company focused on global public health. He previously studied physics, worked as a systems engineer, and has won several awards for teaching and mentoring. He is also the best-selling author of Better than destiny. Dr. Frederick Bonson and I dive into practical science for creating the life you want, having no destiny, identifying what matters to us, being reactive and how we can make better decisions, and lastly, helping to define our life goals. I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, I feel like it's allowed me to be more creative because I've been able to simplify the admin aspect of my podcast and focus on developing more valuable and creative content. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. It doesn't 
take much just hearing back from somebody who's read the book or who I've had a conversation with that can say this idea that was useful to me. It, it changed something. It, it helped me to do something or not do something uh, that it makes it all worth it. It's, yeah. it's super fun. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm right on board. I love it. I love it. And I love that you're taking a, a, a scientific approach. I, I feel like, especially during COVID, there's been a lot of um, noise or anecdotal information that's passed about many things. I mean, it's not just since COVID, but uh, it's been going, it's been rampant for quite some time. But I think that was the accelerant, at least from my perspective. And there's something that you said, I believe, in the intro of your book that was, it really just rung with me was that you felt or you feel like before you wrote this book that you had this unfair advantage, right? That you had this wealth of knowledge. And what I got was that it's kind of trapped and that really compelled you to write something that would allow you to your point earlier, allow you to share this with the, with the general public. What was that, that compelling piece for you to say, I need to share this with people, right? Was it this overwhelming wave of 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 guilt or or what was that that <laughs> metric behind it because either way it's you're pushing out a ton of value with this book i hope so thank you for that and and i would say it it built up over time um i i found these ideas of you know mindset stuff and decision science stuff and it's in psychology it's in business it's in economics research. And I kept picking up these tidbits of, oh, that could be useful in my life. And then testing it out and using it and finding over time that more and more of these things fit together mm-hmm. into being able to pause in my own life and uh, choose how I respond rather than react and make important decisions better and really understand which ones were the important decisions to be focusing on and realizing how much time and energy I I'm perfectly capable of spending on stuff that doesn't matter. That isn't going to affect my, my happiness or health or well being beyond the next few minutes, let alone months or years down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really one realizing for myself that, this had a huge impact on the quality of my life, on the quality of my relationships, on how much I enjoyed my job, how good I was at my job. Like all these things were just kind of went up and up and up. And along the way, I also, because of my job, I have the opportunity to teach. I work with patients. I have to counsel people through difficult decisions, uh, convince them to do things they don't necessarily want to do in their own best interest. Um, you know, like if you want this surgery, you should quit smoking first. Like that can be a really hard decision for yeah. people. You know, they, yeah. they feel like I'm holding something over their head or judging them. And we have to talk about like why that matters. Let's get down to the data about healing and all, all of this. And I've found that in all of these areas, the stories and the evidence and the practical advice all overlap. And it becomes useful. The things I, I learn and refine in the clinic are useful when I'm coaching or when I'm teaching. And those things overlap and the same ideas apply in similar or different ways in my relationship with my family, with my friends. And that just kind of built up to the point where it was already kind of coming out in coaching and teaching. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I, a guy called me two or three years ago now, uh, fairly out of the blue. He was somebody I would worked, I had worked with a couple of years before. And he just called me with a question about a career choice he was facing. And it was a little bit funny. Like he had just, he had been in some sense, one of many people that I had taught in my practice. And he had worked with many, many mentors uh, over that period of time. And he called me and, and that was flattering. And also we had this conversation and I wasn't trying to answer his question for him. I was just asking him questions about what was important to him in this decision and how the different options compared to that and helped him sort through that. And at the end of it, you know, he said, thank you. That was really helpful. 
and was able, I felt like, yeah, he, he really got clear about something that's important to him through that conversation. And I, I love sharing that and doing it in person is fantastic. I love the conversations, but no matter how much of my life I dedicate to that, the, if I can put it out into the world in a way that other people can use that, that could potentially reach way more people and be way more useful than any number of conversations I could ever fit into the rest of my life. Mm. And that, that was when I decided, okay, it's, it's worth the effort to really organize all of this into a book rather than just how I'm using it, how I constructed it in my own head. And that started a whole new process of writing and editing and working with a whole team to help me make that enjoyable and useful for people to read. I I love that you said through just not directing or telling, but helping someone unravel a lot of what's going in their head, especially with my teams, I find that, and this is actually true beyond the walls of the business, but humans and being have trouble articulating what it is that we want most of the time or what our brain's saying and having to put it through a translator, aka our mouth, and then have that come out loud. And so I do think that the set of skills that you have, and I know others in life have the same skill, being able to take something highly complex and boiling it down into a simplistic format that's extremely digestible and walking through each of these gates and channels. And I also love that you had said not being reactive because I feel a lot of our society and what we do as a species is extremely reactive. And then it makes perfect sense why we end six steps in the wrong direction when we, you know, chain and when we look backwards and we go, okay, what kind of makes sense why I got there? Um, And then refining our process for that next stage. But I, it, it, it's always impressive to me when, when we do unlock this skill and continue to refine it as a practice, because it's never, we're never, we're never perfect at this thing, decision-making it's this constant practice. And so I'd love to hear from you some of this practical advice around actually making decisions or how we approach decision-making in general, because we're bombarded every single day. And I know you mentioned this in your book, the smallest little decision, right? Picking up the remote to, you know, driving into the office and taking a different route or whatever, who we date or engage with. We make millions of decisions. I forget the statistic on it. Maybe you can fill it in, but we go or we make about 42,000 decisions every single day. And I think a lot of people hear that number and they're like, oh my God. It's like, yeah, but think of it. Think of it like deciding to brush your teeth, take a shower in the morning, wake up, like all of these things fall under that category of decision-making. So I'm sure a lot of the listeners want to understand. So how do I make better decisions, right? How can I make wiser decisions for the future me or the future me would think the past me? Yeah, I, well, I think that's the question, right? And I think the first thing to realize is that it is a skill. It's it's the sort of thing you can learn, you can practice, you can test out different techniques, you can be mentored or coached, and you can refine it for yourself, and you get better over time. That kind of puts it in a box that says, okay, this is manageable. I'm I'm often intimidated by big decisions, or I lack confidence with this type of decision, but you can look at that and say, that's an area I can grow in. I can get better at that. So that's one important realization. The other thing is, as a skill, I like to talk about it as a meta skill, right? Good decision-making is one of those skills that allows you to develop your other skills better. So good decision-making is going to help your education. It's going to help your your relationships. It's going to help your career, your health, all of these things. So it's, it's a skill you can build, and building that skill pays off across all other areas of your life. Mm. And so that's kind of the justification for me being out here saying, Hey, this, this is important. We, we should work on doing this well. And then the process of doing it well, I think is to have a process to, to have a way that you do it and to engage with it consciously and not just 
whatever flips into your head where you spend an hour deciding what to wear out to dinner, um, but then feel like you have to come down to a coin flip because you don't know how to make a decision about a big career move. Mm. Right. And, and those should be reversed. Like we should. So what I talk about for a practical process, step one is decide how much time, effort, and resources a given decision deserves. And what I was just talking about, like, what do I wear versus what do I do for the next few years in trying to develop my career? Those deserve very different amounts of energy and attention. And if you are willing to admit that you don't have infinite energy, time, and attention, then what follows from that is the time and energy and attention you spend on one thing isn't available for other things. And so I think it's important to be aware that there are some decisions that really matter and taking the time to identify those can help you recognize that all the others don't matter nearly as much. And so you can redirect that energy towards actually what I should be focusing on is what are the things that are going to drive my happiness and health in, in my life, not what do, what do I feel joy or sadness about in the next two hours? You know, um, and not, not that joy and sadness in the next two hours are completely irrelevant, but they need to be in, in the context of what do you want out of your life? Do you want to have more opportunities for joy and happiness and excitement and growth? Then that implies spending more time on certain decisions and less time on others. So step one is decide how much time and effort to spend on something. If you've decided that a decision is worth a fair amount of conscious engagement, time and effort, then the next thing is to figure out what parts of that decision, what parts of the options are actually important to you. And I think a lot of us like to skip this step, right? We kind of, we want to go to the store and see what's on offer and then we'll decide. But that kind of leaves our decision up to what we're being sold or what we're being presented with, right? That very much gives us or gives away our power to decide ahead of time. I know what's important to me in a career. And so when I evaluate job opportunities, I'm going to compare them on these criteria, not the ones that the job posting is highlighting, but the the list of things that are actually important to me. Um, a common example here is like going to the, you know, it's much simpler compare than all of us in our different careers, but going to the store to buy a new TV, right? When you're in the store, if you don't decide ahead of time, how big of a TV, what your price range is, you're going to go to the store and they all look smaller next to the biggest one. And some of them have features you've never heard of before, but they sound fancy and you're going to get sold right up the line. And when you get home, what's really going to matter is, does it fit on your wall? You know, is there a window behind your couch or next to the TV that's going to change the glare? All of those things are going to affect your experience far more than the tiny differences you could see in the store. So deciding before you get there, what matters to you, that that's gives you a touchstone to return to as you're being bombarded with new information, whether it's from a sales process or just you're researching something on the internet and there's you know more information than you could read in 10 lifetimes about the subject of your choice. You got to have something to focus on. So decide how, decide how much it's worth, figure out what's important to you, and then look for an obvious winner. Every once in a while, if you've first gotten clear on what's important to you, and then you look back at your options, you're going to say, oh, if I'm really only focused on these things, this one is clearly the best. Sometimes you get lucky and that's true. If that's not true, which is the rest of the time, most of the time, look for obvious losers, right? Start thinning your options. Here are a few that are definitely out. Here's a top tier of a few and a second tier. It's not that you're, you know, you're not burning bridges here those second tier options, they still exist in the world, but you don't have to spend any time on researching or considering them. 
unless you've tried every one of your top tier options and they've all failed in some way. Mm. So to go back to the career option, it's like, well, here are three things I would consider doing if none of these three other things worked out. You don't have to research those, you know, numbers four, five, and six until you've actually not liked or failed at three other careers. Mm. So just put them off to the side for now. You haven't destroyed them as future options. You're just focusing your energy on the things you're more likely to like. So thin your options down and then put in your time. You know, you've decided this is worth a certain amount of time. Put it in on those last few options, the ones that really have a lot to offer in the areas that you care about. And part of that is recognizing that there's a limit to how much you get out of spending more time on a decision. So this is a, for people who've taken economics class, there's going to be diminishing returns here, right? So early on in the research process, I know next to nothing about these jobs that I'm considering. A little bit of research goes a long way. Suddenly, I you know, if I know one thing and that, then I know two, I've doubled my amount of knowledge and I've significantly increased my chance of making a good choice. But once I've spent 40 hours researching just three job opportunities, now another hour doesn't add much relative to how much I already know. So at some point that that curve of how much better my decision is getting versus how much time I'm spending on it gets pretty flat. And so being honest about that is important to say, Am I really gaining significant useful knowledge or am I just spinning my wheels and delaying acting on a choice? So my, my advice is decide in advance. Like this, this job decision is worth, say, 40 hours of research. And I'm not going to take a week off work and spend a whole work week doing it. But I'm going to roughly say that over the next couple of months, I'll spend as much as 40 hours researching whether I want to make this career decision. And when I get there, I have to have an honest conversation with myself about, you know, is it time to make the decision or am I just delaying it? Is there something, something more I really need to know or, or am I just spinning my wheels? And then once you reach that point, you make your choice, which I think is an important part of that is recognizing that you're making a bet on a probability that there is no certain choice in anything that we do. There's random chance. There's stuff you don't know, some of which you could know, some of which you can't know until after the fact. All of that stuff is going to play into how things turn out, but you do the best you can. You try to place winning bets. And then over time, as you, as long as you're running through the process to get the best decisions you can, more bets are going to win than lose. And your life just gets better over time with winning bet after winning bet. Hmm. I, 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 the image that I, I, that came to mind when you're describing this decision-making is irrigation, just like irrigation in your yard, right? In order for zone five to work, Zone one, two, three, and four cannot be on because by the time the water gets to zone five, there is no pressure anymore to come out of any of the irrigation heads. And I remember when I was maybe 14, I had an apprenticeship in, in construction and I used to always watch the head of the job. He'd spend so much time thinking through things and I would watch the younger guys on the job always jump to make decisions, just start throwing up a wall. And by the time three hours went past, well, now the door isn't going to open because of where one of the positions where the walls are. And I always thought to myself, man, yeah, we spent a couple hours thinking this through, but at the end of the day, and this didn't hit me until I was older, of course, right? Processing this information, but had we just spent a couple more hours thinking this through, we would have saved ourselves five hours down the line, pulling the wall apart, pulling it down, putting up a, a, a new wall where the door can actually open. And so I find this, this process so, so practical for us as humans, where we just no wonder we're overstimulated and exhausted and burnt out with decisions because we're that 
we just turned on zone one, two, three, four, and five, and then expected that we were going to push out the water pressure equally in each head with each of these decisions. So I love this practicality of really sitting, slowing down in the micro to make a macro better decisions. And I'm glad that you highlighted this piece around eventually you need to make a decision because we have that, you know, analysis paralysis where we just continue to sit there and sit on information and, 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 and just chisel away at it. And then it just delays actually taking any action. And it's like, at the end of the day, the action is what gives us direct feedback to make better decisions, as you pointed out down the line to hopefully execute with a better percentage, better chance of actually getting through to the right decision ultimately. But that feedback loop, I kind of think of it as that feedback loop is so critical. So how much feedback can I push to myself in a shorter period of time, which will therefore allow me to make better decisions long-term faster than most people around me? And time is everything because we don't get more of that. That is the one asset irrelevant of how wealthy you are that you're just not going to get more of. So I love this practicality behind decision-making and not allowing ourselves to get paralyzed by that decision-making. Yeah, I I think you're right. And I, I think there's a piece I'd add to that, which is if you're explicit about saying, I'm only going to spend this much time on this decision. Like in my example, I think I said, you know, 40 hours for your of research for your career decision um, or for picking between jobs. Once you say that, you now have some mental motivation to do the research that's going to make the biggest difference about the choice rather than just going to read about jobs. Because mm. you're like, now I have to decide. If, if I have claimed to myself that I have a timeline on this, you, you've acknowledged a reality. That reality already existed. You have a finite amount of time. But as soon as you acknowledge it and make it explicit in your own mind, that's going to help you prioritize what you do next. And rather than just cruising the web for anything and everything, you're going to go back to that list, hopefully, of these are the things that are important to me. How do I learn as much as possible about those few things for these few jobs? Those two things, you're going to be more efficient. And what you do with your efficiency is going to be more impactful. Mm. And so that's, you know, if, if value is both the impact and the efficiency at which you have that impact, you're kind of multiplying up radically here the the quality of decision that you can make within any given period of time by by being explicit about what your true priorities are in the choice and what time you have to make that choice in and to to learn about those qualities that matter Mm. um this form is uh, of the timeline or time you want to dedicate to something is so that I even started this with the podcast. I made a public announcement that I was going to start the podcast. The purpose of, it was kind of selfish. What I was deciding to do in that moment was put my neck on the line because I now just said publicly to friends and family and anybody else that I had in my network at the time, that that's what I was committing to doing. So if I didn't do it, what hit was my character going to take? And did that really matter to me? And the answer was yes, ultimately, which led me to do the the part of behind the story I was telling you earlier, part of what pushed me to do the podcast and work really hard on it. And I did, I continued to do this and I'll continue to do this in perpetuity. And by making announcements, oh, I'm launching a course. Well, that's now made public and I need to follow through with that thing. Oh, I'm now throwing out two episodes a week. I make the reward high, but also I don't want to use the word punishment, but I now have accountability and responsibility to my listeners and the people that follow me to deliver on that thing that I said, because if I don't, then I lose something that really means a lot to me. And that's trust for my audience. And so by making those public announcements, whether it be on the podcast or on social, now I'm held accountable to that expectation that I've now set with my audience. And so that's a form of, of, of what you're describing here with kind of time, but 
putting it out into the aura that this is what I'm going to be doing. And I follow through on that because one of my pet peeve is if you're going to say you're going to do something, follow through and do it. That's important to me. When someone says they're going to do something that they follow through on, I hold myself to a high expectation for exactly that. When I tell someone I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I think that's an example of one of many different, we call, I think the psychology research calls them commitment devices, right? Mm -hmm. So you can, if you write it out for yourself, that's going to be more likely to encourage your success than if you just tell yourself in your head, yeah, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. If you involve other people socially, we're social being, we value connection. We whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we care what people think. And we think a lot about how they're going to think about our actions. So when we put something out publicly, that carries a lot of weight internally. So that's a strong commitment device. Um, you can make it even bigger. Like you were talking, you don't want to call it punishment. And I agree. Um, there, but you acknowledge there's a social cost. If I don't, if I don't keep my word, that is a hit to my identity and to, to my relationships, whether it's to an audience or to family members or friends or whatever. And then the next level on that is to have what a lot of people would call a commitment referee, which is you say, okay, I'm going to pick one person and they're going to hold me to this. And I'm going to, here's a, here's a team, the rival sports team that I hate. I'm going to donate $500 to their fan club. If I don't do, you know, if I don't quit smoking by August. And so I'm going to call up my friend, Peter and tell him, Peter, I'm, I'm going to give you a check for $500 to the fan club of the sports team that I hate. And if by this date, I'm still smoking, you get to mail that check. And, but if I've quit smoking for at least four weeks by that time, we're going to get together and, you know, have a burger and tear up the check um, and void it. And so you can just keep adding those costs to, to kind of push yourself to follow through. Because I think, you know, we were talking initially about making the decision, but I think to, to steal and modify a quote, I would say not only a goal without a plan, is just a wish is a nice quote. I would also say that a decision, a decision without action is also just a wish that you, you can say whatever you want about what you're going to do or get or create in the world. But in, until you start actually doing things, that's just an idea. It, it's not a reality in the world. And, and so any of the things we can do to encourage ourselves to follow through, whether that's building habits, whether it's these commitment devices, whether it's linking our smaller goals to bigger goals, like who we want to be as an identity in the world over, over long periods of time. As we link all of these things up, we increase our chances of success. And the key to that is getting ourselves to take the day-to-day -day actions that link the time I spend doing things today to the goals I want to achieve over time. Ultimately, it's you can read all the books in the world, you can watch someone run five miles, but unless you put any of that into play, any of the get those reps in running five, it's not going to help your cardio by watching someone run, right? You right. can absorb or, the or reading the book about how to work out, right? Correct. I can I can read a book about endurance training, but until I get off my couch and start doing a little more mileage every week, it it doesn't make much difference to my fitness, right? Right. And is there a, um, a correlation? One, uh, uh, speaking of decisions, locating, how do we locate those things that matter specifically to us? Right. Cause I, I bet what the audience is, is listening and saying, okay, this makes a lot of sense. This is super practical with decision-making, but I struggle to grasp what truly matters to me. Right. So is there a process, a framework behind diving into some of those decisions? Yeah, I'd say there, there's a lot of ways you can attack that. And I tend to start with what I have come to re refer to together as the five factors of happiness or five factors of well-being. And there's, there's a lot of research on 
what makes people happy and well and different studies either in the lab or huge populations on like the happiest and healthiest populations in the world. They use slightly different wording, but when you bring it all together, time and again, the same five things pop up as what matter to us in the long run. And those are social connection, health and activity, curiosity, learning, and giving. So one way or another, being connected to other people, being able to do things physically and feel healthy, and doing something that matters for someone other than yourself. Like those things Every everything that we do can either serve one of those things, can move us towards those things or not. Mm. And so, and they can manifest in all kinds of different ways, right? Like social connection, we can envision that as serving your family. You we can envision that as being part of a, a church or a social group or an outreach group of being connected to friends. All of those things go in there. And so it's not limiting to say that there's just these five things, I don't think. I think it gives us something to focus on. And all of a sudden, you can actually make a list, right? If we just say, well, go go find happiness, like, I have no idea how to do that. But if you say, here's, here's five categories, whatever you're going to do, your plans for the year, your goal that you're going to set for yourself, make sure it serves at least one of these five things. And that's going to give you a reason. It's going to give you some structure for figuring out like, okay, I need a job because, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, I just got to get any job because I got to pay the rent and I got to buy groceries. But if I have the luxury of choice, let's choose something that I can, I am interested in learning or that sparks curiosity in me, whether that's music or science or podcasting or whatever you want to do. I want to go into marketing because I enjoy figuring out, you know, how to design things that catch people's interest. That's great. You know, get interested in that, learn as much as you can about it, but tie it to being interested in it because of those reasons, because it's an opportunity to learn, because it's something curious about, because you see some way that it serves others. Um, And so that I think is the big framework for here's how to figure out what matters. Mm. Yeah. And and it's this, this constant fuel supply for our energy when those are are the North star for our decisions, our, our movement through life, rather than it being this hollow shell of a thing that we're moving through. And now of course, it takes this immense amount of energy and exhaustion every day to wake up and do the same thing over and over again. And there's actually nothing rigid. There's no skeleton behind anything really that that we're doing, we're engaging with. And does this fall under or within the same category, the same processes, helping us to to really define our life goals and, and where we're going? Well, I think I think it's the start. I think knowing that can help you with the rest and then defining a goal, you know, one, one process that's useful for a lot of people. There are a million versions on it, uh, of it out on the internet. Uh, I call it the purpose Venn diagram. Uh, It's on the internet as an Ikigai exercise, which is a Japanese word that's kind of been bent and twisted to, to sum all of this up into, into one word. But, um, in any case, it's you're looking for overlaps, which is why I think Venn diagrams a useful idea for it between things you enjoy doing, things you're good at doing, things you can get paid for, and things that the world needs. And you can sit down and kind of, in each of those categories, just list out specifics and general ideas in each category, and then start to look for overlaps. And you may find multiple things kind of in the center of that Venn diagram, or you may find that nothing jumps out at you in the center, but you can find things that fit two or three. And that's going to be a big improvement over just taking a random shot without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And then you may find as you, you know, again, treating a choice as a bet or an experiment, 
you run that experiment. You're like, okay, well, this this checks the button, checks the boxes of you know making enough money that I can support myself and my family, and it it's something that I enjoy doing. Let's see if I can become good at it. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to look for ways that maybe this serves other people or maybe it doesn't. And and whether it serves other people in a way that feels meaning meaningful to me. But I'm going to have to try doing it to see whether that feels true. Like if I just stare at a blank journal page and think I'm going to work my way through whether doing this job is meaningful to me, it would probably take less time to go try the job and see what it's like to actually do it and, mm-hmm. and see what feedback you get from the people you work with and work for and, and realize, oh, this really does make a difference for people. Or yeah, maybe this makes a difference for people, but I don't find it that rewarding. So I should try something else. In either case, it's not until you act on it that, that you learn. And now I'm, I'm super curious. So talking about life goals, Venn diagram, this kind of overlap, right? There's this word that I think gets thrown into the mix and it's destiny, right? And I know we were going, we were emailing about this and you talk about this in your book, but this mask of people making moves in their life because being it, it being predicated off of this destiny or them thinking it's their destiny. I love to understand your kind of scientific or or just pushback on this word destiny and how maybe as human beings, we take this a bit out of context and we use this as kind of misguiding some of our actions. Yeah. So there's a couple of ways we could talk about destiny. And first I'll just say that I think, you know, some people can get hung up on the semantics, but in general, I just think that it's, it's a disempowering idea. This idea that there's one, there's a grand path for you. And if you're not just cruising along and feeling passion and purpose and all these things and everything's going great, then somehow you've failed at finding your path. And so it it puts us in this false dichotomy, this false choice between I'm either on a path that is destined for me and I kind of don't have any choice in that, or I'm lost and I've failed to find the path. But I, I don't think that that's true. I don't think those are the two options. I think it's a wide open map and that we can set off on any number of paths or make a path of our own. And if we get on a path and decide we really like it, we can blaze it further and further in, into the, the distance. And if we decide we don't, we can change direction and we can get on a different path or carve a new one. And the the thing that allows us to do that is the power of our choice. So making choices and taking action, as we were talking about, based on those decisions, that, you know, that, that was the title of my book, Better Than Destiny. I think that's better than this idea. I think it's far more empowering to think that my choices matter. And what I do with those choices affects how things go in my life. And that can be scary because then all of a sudden we have to wonder, like, if I don't like where I am, is that my fault? Is that, you know, have I done something wrong? And I think it's important to acknowledge that luck, circumstance, privilege, all these things, everything plays a role, but you're giving up the biggest power you have if you claim that you don't have choices where you are about where to go next. Mm. And your, your choices are constrained by all sorts of realities in the world, but they are still choices. And those choices, how you make them and what action you take based on them will determine, will affect, I should say, what choices are available to you next. Mm-hmm. And I know you... You, Scott, I think you like to talk about mindset a lot, right? And so you and most of your listeners may be familiar with the ideas of fixed versus growth mindset, right? You know, Carol Dweck really popularized this and has done a lot of research to talk about fixed mindset being we think we are the way we are and we can't do much to change and growth mindset being challenges are good because I learn from them and failure is an opportunity to learn, not 
a proof of me being a bad or insufficient person in this way. And I think the idea of destiny is like having a fixed mindset about your life, that there's just this one way that it's going to go. And some of us are apparently destined to, you know, be, have horrible tragedies and end up, you know, selling meth with no teeth and no, you know, no friends left in our lives. And that was just destiny. And some of us are destined to, you know, start Amazon and become billionaires and go to space. And that was just destiny. And I think we should have a growth mindset about our lives. I think most of us live at least parts of our lives as if we believe in the power of our choice. We don't just give it all up. We actually spend time, like even on these small decisions that we were talking about later, as if those decisions matter. And and I think that's true. And I think, like I was talking about earlier, you have to consider which decisions are more or less important relative to one another, but not give up the idea that the decisions, the choices do matter and that those choices are our power to affect how our future turns out. Yeah, be- beautifully said. And I I couldn't agree with you more. The The fact that we're handed a blank canvas. I remember as a, as a kid, those coloring books or those painting books, whatever they were, and they had numbers in them in the slots. And those numbers would direct you to which color it should be, purple, blue, green, orange, whatever. Um, if I am to think about my life or we are to think about our lives I'd rather have a blank canvas and paint whatever the hell I want to paint rather than have something or someone or somebody tell me that I need to color within these lines. These are the colors I need to use because ultimately once the painting's done or that, that art is done, it's only probably going to go so far if you have to color within the lines and use certain colors. There's probably not going to be a great distance or difference, excuse me, between each of those paintings from a group that had to color within the lines, but then a group of 30 other people that got a blank canvas and could make anything they wanted to make. I guarantee not two paintings on the group of 30 would be the same at all. And that's really how I think about the ability and the freedom of of choice, a freedom of making decisions and painting the ultimate art of our lives. And it saddens me that some of us use this crutch and thinking that, well, I'm only going to be as good as this, or my parents told me this, or society says this, and these are the, the, this is my coloring book. And it's like, no, you can tear that damn page out and start over today if you want, because that art is uniquely yours. The choices are uniquely yours. And you get to determine what means a lot to you, where you want to put all this energy, our whole conversation today. And so I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And and I love while I think that it may be controversial, this you know, questioning of destiny, I think you're so spot on. And I love that we're being honest and, and truthful with this because we have a tendency to use other things as an excuse all the time why we don't make a decision or why we won't go far. And then eventually, yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy. Now, of course, it makes sense that our lives turn into that thing because that's constantly what we're regurgitating in our minds day in and day out. So five years from now, it is no surprise. But what happens, what would have happened if you decided that there is no box that you need to live within and then yeah. what's possible. So I, I, I think it's, it's also worth acknowledging that it, it can be intimidating, right. To say that outright, to mm-hmm. say, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly well blank canvas. And, and that can be, you know, we've all had that moment looking at a page or a blank screen or whatever, and just saying like, oh my God, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so that can be intimidating, but I think it's a false comfort to say, well, no, it's actually better if I have the destiny because that you're just, you're giving up the control. You're still, it's still a blank, the, it's still a blank canvas that's been handed to you. But you're giving up 
your options of what to do with it to to either handing them to somebody else or trying to convince yourself that some lines are going to appear on the page if you just wait and look hard enough right and, and i i think what we have to do is start taking action start drawing the map and if we don't like how it's turning out we can paint over it we can change things but nothing happens on that canvas until we decide to take action and to do that we have to decide which action to take and then take it mhm yeah so so well put well i am um... I super appreciate you coming on, sharing your wisdom. Where can where can people find you? Where can people purchase the book and any other plugs you want to put away here? Because I think this is really important. You have a lot of valuable information to share with people. So, yeah, well, the book is better than destiny: practical science for creating the life you want. And you can pick it up on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or order it through your local big bookstore. And the best way to get in touch with me is through my website. So frederickbonson.com. It's got some of the exercises from the book. There's a printable stuff for like the purpose Venn diagram and instructions for that. There's a mindset quiz on the website, which can be fun for people. And it's a quick way to get some insight into kind of how you approach challenges and how you approach some things with interpersonal stuff and so that's a, that's a quick way to get a little bit of insight and fun. And you can contact me directly through the website. So there's a form on there. There's my email address on there. And I, like I said earlier, I love the conversations. I love getting to hear people's stories and dig into what they're struggling with, what they're interested in, and hear and see people light up with that moment of, aha, I didn't know I could do that, but now I can. Uh, that's that's the best. So come to the website, get in touch. I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, but honestly, in anywhere you find me, the the best thing for me is reach out on a chat and uh, let's talk about what's going on. Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into practical science for creating the life you want with Dr. Frederick Bonson. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the motivated underscore mind and on Facebook at the motivated mind podcast. Don't forget to join me every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. I love you all. And thanks so much for listening. Motivated Mind is a legacy division.